Hey, uh, last two weeks, Shanda and I were away with a team from our Christian school, Regent Christian Academy in uh, Uganda, working with our partners, Adrian and Francis Maguanya. I see one, I see two. Where's, is Hannah there somewhere? Yeah, there she is right in the front. The one smiling, pretty big. Uh, so that's the Maguanya family there, Francis and Adrian and their children, and that's our team. And that's a great ministry, Father's Heart Mobility Ministry. We provide uh, wheelchairs uh, and uh, crutches and various things to people that are disabled. This was in the western side of the country up in the uh, highlands. Rusheri, I'm probably not saying that correctly, but there's our Ugandan team, our school team, and uh, over 170 uh, families were touched by getting a wheelchair, getting crutches, and all kinds of things. And you, if you haven't seen it, you don't always understand the impact that it means. When, but when you see a grandmother who will come in, maybe in her 80s, and she's on her hands and knees, has flip-flops on her fingers because she can't walk, she wants to keep her hands clean. And Or you see families that are uh, trying to carry around somebody because uh, that's the only way that they can get around. You know, it was a great testimony when one lady who came to the to the event to get a wheelchair for her uh, child. She said, and this is the first time I've heard this, we've been, I think, four times now. Uh, she said that I never realized that there were people like me that were suffering with a child that is disabled. I, I thought I was the only one struggling in this way. And isn't it uh, so empowering? She, it, it was so empowering for her, so life-giving to her to realize that she was not alone. And so when you do things and support missions globally uh, through Horizon Church, it's things like Father's Heart Mobility, it's widows and orphans, it's education, all kinds of things. These are the things that we do and we get to do because Jesus has blessed us. And with the same measure we've been blessed, we can bless other people, right? So that we're thankful for the Maguanias and uh, it's already evening time there, uh, Sunday evening, and uh, we had a great time with them. They're doing well, uh, great, great family. So we're thankful for them. Last week, in fact, uh, you can take that picture off. Uh, uh, we were, I, I got to speak at Gaba Community Church in Kampala. Three services, and the first service is at 7.30 in the morning. And there were like 500 people there at 7.30. And if, if you've ever been in an African church, you can't come and be half asleep. Because if you are half asleep, they will wake you up. 7.30, then 9.30, then 11.30, every service packed, and it was just wonderful to see what God's doing in and through his, his kingdom all over the globe. Jesus is moving. And uh, thankful for while we were away, of course, Mike, I heard, just preached incredible last weekend and just did a great, great job. Yeah. The big drift. And Pastor Daniel, I saw it on social media, three doors here, and all that, Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world, uh, where God's called us to reach beyond ourselves. God has a big audience intended for all of us. And so we're going to continue on in our series this morning on the, on the big church. And I don't know if you've ever uh, been a Netflix binge watcher where there's like 10 episodes in a season and you sit down and you watch all 10 of those in a row. Has anybody ever done that? Come on, it's honest time. You're in church. Now, you just sat there and you went through them all. Well... This right now, today, we're on episode six of Big Church. And so what I'm going to try and do is, if you've missed a couple, I'm just going to try and catch you up so that when we continue on, you can like, it's hard sometimes to get into the middle of a series. 
my wife, we're sometimes we're watching a series together, and she watches one ahead, and that's, that's just grounds for, like, marital trouble right there. Like, you're supposed to stay on track. Don't go ahead. Hey, hey. hey don't talk about that just because I went ahead. It was on the airplane, and, I, and she was sleeping. I couldn't wake her up. Have you ever tried to wake up your wife when, it's, when she's sleeping for the first time in a day? You let her sleep. That's free advice for you, young men. Just let her sleep. Any, can I get an amen from the husband? Just let her sleep. All right. So here we are. We're on a big church. So we were, we've been talking about big church, not big church from having a big church per se, a large church, but just that the church was a big idea in God's heart, and it's always been a big idea, and it's a, it's a big thing to God and to the world. And so as we talk about big church, we are, we're asking this question about how did this thing called the church come to be? How did it bust out of one little nation, in fact, really one small town, a, a small city called Jerusalem, how did it bust out of that nation in such a way that we even know the name of Jesus, let alone have seen the expansive growth of the church? How, how is it that one person that some people would doubt is even a, a, a historical figure, how is it that the message of that one person has come so far to touch a third of the planet who would say that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. There are people meeting all over the world in the last day, day and a half, depending on your time zone, in buildings like this, in buildings a lot different than this. There are people meeting in homes. There are people around the name of Jesus. There are people meeting under trees in the name of Jesus. There are people meeting in caves under the name of Jesus. There are people meeting in all kinds of places gathered around the truth of Jesus Christ. How is it that something like that 2,000 years ago, in fact, over 2,000 years ago, has come to impact our world today? I was in uh, Paris on Friday as we were transiting through, and we saw a church that was built in, uh, I think it was 1,200 years ago a church was built, the oldest church in Paris, and it's still standing there. But we would be making a mistake if we made the church about a building. Because the reason that the church continued to grow is it's beyond a natural explanation. There's, there's no better explanation of how this happened than when we go to look at the book of Acts. We, you see, the church was never an institution. The church was never about a building. We meet in a building, but the building is not holy. The people that are in it are holy, and while they're, while they're there and they're worshiping a holy God, some holy things happen, but it, it's just a building. But what made the church incredible was that it did not launch as an institution. It did not launch as a building. It launched as a movement, a multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic move of people who gathered around this one truth that they said in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, they said, just... And here it was, and you can read this in the book of Acts. They said, just a little bit more than six weeks ago, there was this Jesus whom you crucified has now risen from the dead, and he has, and lives today, and he has made it possible that I can be reconciled to God. And they gave their lives for this truth that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, who the one who changed their lives, changed somebody else's life, and changed, and the chain went on and on from there. And it began to grow. It began to move as a movement. It was never an institution. It was never about a building. And you can be made right with God. This whole truth began. 
But as they started to go along, we looked where uh, persecution began to arise in the church. And there was a man by the name of Saul who who was persecuting the church. He was like a madman on a mission to try and kill the church. And he was going after the church. God met him. And Pastor Daniel talked about that a couple weeks ago where God, he encountered God. And God began to move where the greatest persecutor of the church became the greatest advocate of the church. A church destroyer became a church starter. And all over the Mediterranean world, he began to move and it began to grow and it began to expand. And, and in AD 67, this man by the name of Saul, who now was called Paul, was beheaded by uh, the emperor. And, and it seemed, is it going to end again? No, it kept moving. It kept moving. It can continue to spread throughout Europe. It continued to spread throughout the Middle East. And it's it, uh, history tells us that uh, one of the doubting apostles, Thomas, in fact, went the farthest to the south of India. And the gospel began to spread all over the world until today. It's estimated that over a third of the globe would say, I follow Jesus Christ. But how is that even possible? How is it possible that this thing called the church, this, this amazing movement, multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic move of people impacted the world? And the question that we're going to look at today, other than the message of forgiveness of sin that you could be made right with God, does the church still matter? Does the church really matter today? In Canada in particular, but really all over the world, does the church even matter? Do we make a difference? If we cease to exist, would anyone even notice? Has the church contributed? And I believe that the answer is yes. The church has mattered and the church still matters. And we're going to look at that today because the church has big answers for the big questions and the big problems that plague our world. And we are in a world that is in a world of hurt on many levels. We're in a world that is divided around ethnic things. It's divided around political issues. It's divided and there's hatred and there, there's corruption and all kinds of things. And I still believe, and the church is the steward of big answers to big problems that plague the world. You know, we don't realize that Canadian culture is much more Christianized than we realize that it is. There are people that would say, hey, that was, they were not really Christian guys. They, they didn't have Christian truths and all that. But our founding uh, fathers, our forefathers that met in 1867 and formed this nation called Canada. And we're thankful for the First Nations people that were here before. And as Canada came together... Uh, in, and became a nation in this land called Canada, which is a First Nations word, uh, like a big village, basically, a village of people, come together around July the 1st, 1867, and it was founded around Psalm 70, I think it's Psalm 72, where it talks about, and he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the great river to the ends of the earth. They, it came out of a devotional. It was called the Dominion of Canada because one of our founding fathers had this moment with God and said, I think it should be called the Dominion of Canada because we want God to have dominion from sea to sea, from the great river to the ends of the earth to the North Pole. What an appropriate verse. And Canada was created around this thing, and we cannot... Uh, uh, around this reality that God was to be at the center of our nation. And because we're so accustomed to all the things that we enjoy as a nation, in fact, recently, uh, yesterday I read that Canada is the seventh most happiest nation in the world. And uh, I don't know how they gauge that, but somebody did. But we don't always realize, because of what we have, where it came from. We fail to appreciate the value and the uh, 
the transformative power that the church has brought to the nation. And we've had our dark times. We've done some stupid things as the church as a whole. But overall, the effect of the church has been great to lay the foundation for our nation. And I'm going to show you that because if we were able to stand back and get the right perspective, we would say, wow, does the church matter? Of course it does. And wow, does the church matter more than ever in light of what we're going through in our nation right now? The church not only mattered 2,000 years ago, the church not only mattered in 1867, the church matters more than ever in 2018 in Metro Vancouver, in Metro Toronto, in PEI, in Inuvik, in the Northwest Territories, in Iqaluit, in, in little places called Nakusp, in little places called Fort St. John, in every place in our nation from the north to the south to the east to the west, that the church still matters and the church has big answers to big problems that are plaguing our society. The church has the answers that are needed in the world. It's just the way it is, and you can quarrel, but I want to really show you some things today about how that looks. There was a man by the name of David Acom, who was the bureau chief of Time Magazine for many years all over the world, but particularly in China for a number of years. And he he's a lecturer at Harvard. You can look him up. He's written over 15 books. He's interviewed people like Mother Teresa, like... Uh, Manuel Noriega, like Boris Yeltsin from the former Soviet Republic, and Billy Graham. And while he was in Beijing, while he was posted there, he had access to all kinds of different government officials and high-level uh, Communist Party officials there. And during that time, he did many, many, many interviews with them. And he, he, had this, he wrote this statement that someone he interviewed made about the impact of Christianity on Western culture. Again, this is impossible for us to see. It's impossible because we don't appreciate because we're from the West. And um, most of us, this is all we've ever known. This beautiful nation that we call Canada or wherever. And many of you are from other places and come because Canada is a great place to live. Come on. Canada is a great place to live, people. Yeah, yeah. And here's this quote. It's, a, it's this, he records a statement from a Chinese social scientist, an intellectual who had been indoctrinated in communism and Maoism. That's the leader of China for many, many years. And he, they carefully studied the West. And here's what this individual said. One of the things we were asked to look into was to find out what accounted for the success. In fact, the preeminence of Western culture and values all over the globe. And so they were given this task of why is it and of course, in those days, 70s and 80s, China wanted to be a world player. They wanted to be, come, rise up from where they were. And so they sent smart guys into the West to find out how has the West become great? How has the values of the West, of freedom and personal liberty, become so great? And so they said this, we studied everything we could from the historical, from the political, from the economic, the cultural perspective. And listen to this. At first we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Bigger weapons. But they quickly realized that that wasn't the answer. The bigger guns, maybe the more powerful your economy. Maybe we, then we thought maybe it's because you have the best political system. Then we focused on the economic system. And then here's the quote. But in the last 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That is why the West 
has been so powerful. People who were looking into what the, the, the way our culture worked were trying to figure out why it worked because they wanted to emulate it, looked at all these things and say, the answer for why it is so great is because of this thing called Christianity. It's affected everything that you do. And they went on to say that the Christian moral foundation of the social and cultural life has made possible the emergence of capitalism and whatever you think, capitalism has created more wealth for more people than any other system in the world. And we're going to talk about it in a moment. And then from capitalism, the successful transition to democracy, we don't have any doubt about this. It said the Christian moral and cultural foundation has been what has allowed your economy to prosper, has allowed your people to be free, has allowed liberty, has been the Christian moral life source of your society. That's how it started. And here's what they discovered. It wasn't just capitalism. It was capitalism with a conscience. And in the last probably 20, 30 years, capitalism has been divorced from the conscience, and it's just been about make money, and capitalism without a conscience is greed. Capitalism with a conscience that the Christian moral fiber provides is something that can actually help people. Because we realize that anything that we've been given has been given to us to help make the world a better place. It's not just so that I can have more, accumulate more, and we'll get on to look into that in a moment. But it was capitalism with a conscience informed by the teachings of the New Testament and the teaching of the church that actually they recognize, these Chinese social scientists recognize, was the source of our strength as, as a culture. And then they went on and they looked at what when missionaries went out into various areas of China, into the rural areas, and, they, and people introduced people to the Christian faith, they saw this, that in every place where people were exposed to the Christian faith and became followers of Jesus, opium addiction went down. The crime rate went down. And Christian families grew wealthier than the families around them. That's just the data or data, or whichever word you like. That's the data that they saw that was the result of a Christian foundation. And so the church, they said, matters because the teachings of the church, the teachings of Jesus actually make a difference in the culture. We're going to look at that. In 2009, the human rights organization Freedom Watch certified 89 countries as free. 81 of them were predominantly or historically Christian nations because do you know that what they discovered that we have lost sight of? The church matters. And the church is not an institution. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational move of people who say, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I'm going to live differently because I'm going to follow those teachings. And that's what changes individuals. It changes families. It changes marriages. It changes Cities, it changes nations because the church is a steward of this incredible life-giving truth that not only can your eternal life be changed, your life today can be changed and can be better. Do you know that the church makes a cultural difference that brings the things we love? It's the found, laid the foundation for the freedoms that we love and the opportunities that we have. You see, we are not only stewards of the message of eternal life, we are stewards of the message of a better life, of a better life. Following Jesus will make your life better. 
Following Jesus will make your marriage better. Following Jesus will make your family better. And that's the simple truth that historical data has shown again and again. And that's what I'm just trying to show you. The church still matters. And your the message of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, can impact your life and change your life so that you can be a change agent in the world. We still believe that. And as Canadians, we sometimes think that the things that we enjoy are because we're just good people. I'm a Canadian. Sorry. Sorry. Walking through. Sorry. Somebody bumped me. This lady on the plane was getting off the plane in Vancouver. And I don't know. When that seatbelt sign goes off, we all leap to our feet to wait for 10 minutes in the aisle. But anyway, this lady just hip-checked me, like, into my seat. Like, I'm not kidding. She just got up and went one of those, and I landed into my seat. I was like, what's going on? And I said sorry to her. <laughs> I'm a Canadian, I tell you. I apologize to her for uh, whatever. <laughs> but we sometimes think it's because we're just drinking Canadian water and breathing Canadian air or something like that, that is our human nature. But Christianity has shaped the values. Christianity and the church has shaped the conscience of our nation. What seems, because what seems natural or good is not natural at all. Natural just means of nature. And if you know anything about nature, nature is not inherently good. Nature is violent. Nature is, knows nothing of fairness and compassion. And nature, might makes right, the strong survive. The powerful rule the less powerful. Tornadoes rip through neighborhoods and earthquakes devastate nations and tsunamis and all kinds of things that nature is just not by nature good and kind. You know, I've been to Africa many, many different times over the nations had the privilege. And one, I think I've been a few times now, we're going on a game drive. And one of the neat things is, I, you can see all kinds of things, but I really wanted to see uh, a lion kill. And, and last year we saw one, this lioness, and the, the ladies do all the work, the men roar, and the lioness goes out and gets them. Kind of like life, isn't it? Like... Uh, <laughs> won't go there and we saw this lioness from a distance and, and she had uh, her white muzzle had had blood on it I was like I was so excited uh, probably not the antelope wasn't excited but it was good for me and I saw and and, and see what happens after that 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 uh, lions and the lionesses they go in there and they just eat the lions and and when they wanted more they just walk in and everybody scatters but all around them you will see First of all, let's just put up a picture. I think we got one here. This is what happens after the lioness. This lioness is so stuffed, she went and rolled up beside a bush, and her legs were just in the air. She was dead asleep. She had eaten so much, she was just there like, uh. And then what happens is the next slide. This is through my iPhone through a binocular. I don't know if you ever tried, if you want to do a telephoto lens with your iPhone, this is how you do it. But you will see now the lions are gone, and there's a hyena there now. And waiting around beside them are the vultures. And the guy in the back there that's pretty tall, that's a stork. We have these things we stork. They bring our babies. They eat flesh. They are like, there they are. And on the back right corner, just kind of looks like a fox there, is a, a jackal. And they all wait their turn. Because in nature, there is no sharing. When I'm done... 
If there's some left, you can have it. In nature, there is no forgiveness. In nature, there is no grace. In nature, there is no sharing. There's no generosity. It's the strong survive, the big make it, and that's the way it is. That's nature. That's what's natural. And human nature isn't much better. See, human nature is actually things like racism. That's natural to us, where I think that I'm better than you, perhaps because of the color of my skin, or you perhaps might think that of me. That's If we leave our nature un, uh, unfettered or unchallenged, we begin to think that we are supreme in whatever place that we're in. Racism is a terrible thing, and if you have felt it, you know that, but it can be very natural to our human nature. Adultery is also very natural. I feel it, so I do it. It's very natural. If you ask in the, in the, primarily in the, the natural world, in the world of animals and everything like that, uh, mating with whomever, whenever, however, it just happens. And if we're just, nat we just follow our human nature, we do things like adultery. It's just what happens when we leave nature to itself. Cheating. Now, there are, cheating, uh, there are many people who will only are accurate on their taxes because they're afraid of getting caught because our human nature says, I want to keep it for myself. I, the government doesn't deserve it. Our prime minister, he says funny things and all these reasons why I think it's so. But because we're afraid of being caught, we don't do it. But our human nature is to lie. Our human nature is to cheat. Our human nature is to slavery. Our human nature is first come, first serve. Our human nature is an eye for an eye. That's what human nature is. And that's not what makes a great nation. That's not what impacts a world for good. What we don't understand and what we can't fully appreciate is that the church matters more than we can even explain. Because of the teachings of the church, the church teaches that we can overcome and be more than our human nature. The church teaches, the teachings of Jesus teach that you are more than a collection of cells. You are more than just like a lion. You are more than that. There is something higher that you're called to, and it's possible to live differently than the animals around you. The church says that you matter. The church says what you do matters. The church says there's teachings that has actually formed so that we don't have a world like this that looks different. We have a much different world, and Paul teaches about that. We can be more than nature. Paul, the man who was at the forefront of church planting, and he went through all that in Galatians 5, he says things like this. Now I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. He's saying, Here, because here's what happens. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Racism, adultery, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hatred, fighting, all this. And then he goes on to list them. And he says, now, if you think nature, people are by nature kind and good, you haven't had children. Because you don't have to teach children to be nasty. You don't have to teach children to be selfish. We have to teach them to do what's right. We have to teach them to do what's good and be kind and all those things. Everything you need to learn, you go and you find out at kindergarten. Because those are the things that we don't by nature do. But we can learn a new way. But Paul says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. In a nation, in a family, wherever. In other words, we all know what we would do naturally if we were let, let it happen. We know what we are tempted to do. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. 
Can you imagine what our culture or community would look like if someone didn't put a break on some of these things? In fact, we are seeing some of that in the Me Too movement where people have been victimized and brutalized and raped and, and all kinds of stuff because there was no break on people's lustful pleasures. And some people in this room have experienced that because of things like this. We let it run wild in our culture. Idolatry, where we put things before people, we put achievements before people. Sorcery, it talks about, is simply using your power for your own ambition. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Jealous of the one that is skinnier than you. Jealous of the one that has a better car than you. Jealous of the one that has a better home than you. Jealous and all kinds of stuff. And outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, and envy. This sounds like social media today. It sounds like listening to Fox News. It sounds like listening to CNN. It sounds like listening to MSNBC. Like just full of all this craziness. Because we have forgotten that the church still matters that the teachings of Jesus still matter, that that's what's made a great culture, that's what's made a great nation, that's what makes a great family, that's what makes a great marriage, that what's, that's what makes a great life. And Jesus, and Paul goes on, he says, that's what human, that's what human nature looks like without a God-informed conscience. And we've all experienced that. We've experienced the pull into various of those that list. Does the church matter? Yes, because absolutely without the message of the church, if things went the way that nature says, we would not want to live in a nation like that. But if we're not careful, if we don't take responsibility for our nation, we will live in a nation like that. And then he goes on to say, and here's the good part, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. The same spirit that launched the church. The same spirit that empowered the church. The same spirit that enlarged the church and informs your conscience. You know those moments when you felt, man, I shouldn't have done that? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Or when I wish I should have done that, man, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Love is you first. I'm going to put you first. That's a whole other way of living. Peace. Go with nature. Have an affair. It's natural. You know, one thing that people who are having an affair don't have is peace. Faithfulness. Being faithful to my word no matter what anyone says or does. Being faithful to keep my promise whether others will see it or not. Goodness and kindness. It's totally foreign to the culture that Paul was speaking to. He was saying uh, the Roman culture was might makes right. The strong survives. There were work slaves. There were sex slaves. There were child slaves. The powerful destroying the weak. And Paul said, there's a better way. There's a better life. Self-control. Imagine what our nation would look like, our city would look like, if we just were people that said, we're going to control ourselves and let the Holy Spirit control our life. And then Paul ends with this powerful statement. He says, there is no law against these things. In other words, you don't have to put a stop to being joyful, being kind, being generous, all those kind of things. When it comes to the deeds of our flesh, we need a law to stop us. But when we as an individual, when we as a family, when we as a community, when we as a marriage embrace the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, we need less and less law. And the reason why we need more and more law in our nation is because we are following the Holy Spirit less and less. And when we follow the Holy Spirit more and more, we have less and less need for law. Have you ever heard of somebody say, hey, there's, you have way too much patience. You are far too kind. 
too kind, too kind. You're, you're just terrible. Too much joy, too much love. You have a problem in your marriage with too much love. You've got to tone it down. That's a way too much love going on right there. Uh, uh, I just think that that's crazy. Are you kidding me? Do you understand how brilliant this is? Paul is saying when a culture, when an individual, when a family, when a Christian embraces and allows the Spirit to lead their life, there everything changes in them. And one by one, as a one person is changed, as a marriage is changed, as a family is changed, as a city is changed, as a nation is changed, things begin to change. Because I actually believe that the teachings of Jesus still transform transform lives, still transform marriages. And that's the hope of a city. That's the hope of a nation. It's not in what laws are passed. It's not in what our prime minister does or doesn't do. It's not in what's going on in the political realm. It's what's going on in the church. And will the church be people that will follow Jesus, will follow the leadership of Holy Spirit, and not walk in, and walk in these ways of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because the teachings of the church still mattered if they're followed. The word works if you work it. Hmm. Because we are stewards of a better message. We are stewards of a message of, a, of, a, of eternal life. But we are stewards of a better life, a message of a better life now. Great marriages have few rules. Great families have few rules. If you, every time something goes wrong in your family, have to lay down another rule, something is wrong in your family because love should rule in your family. When people understand and when people allow this to transform their behavior, things happen. Great companies have few policies. Policies come because of the wickedness of our heart. Not every policy, it's just some of it, just so you know when to take your vacation, but you know what I'm saying. We are stewards of a better life now. And what we experience in our nation compared to what other nations have. And I've been in many, many different nations. I've been in, in uh, Yugoslavia in the middle of a war, surrounded on three sides, the city getting shelled. I know, and I've been in places where there's not freedom. And what we have is absolutely incredible in our nation called Canada because it's founded on some principles and the church still matters and is still needed today. Because the ethic and the morality of Christianity is superior to every other culture. Ooh, sounds pretty crazy great. Follow with me before you check out. The message of the church is superior to the culture of nature. Might makes right. The powerful, the strong survive. The church has never said that all cultures are equal. Your culture and my culture, we come from all different cultures, are equal. But there's a higher culture than any of our cultures. It's called the kingdom culture. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In, in other words, not every part of my culture is bad. I can't do the Highland dance, but it's pretty good. You wouldn't want to see me do it. But not every part of a culture is bad, but every part that doesn't line up with the kingdom culture needs to bow to, that, to the kingdom culture. Because God wants to change our world. There's, see, there's a heavenly culture the church always believed that the culture of the kingdom was superior to the culture of the world that they lived in. It was superior to the culture of Rome that said women were property. It was a radical statement in those days. It was superior to the culture of Greece that had a caste system, that there was all these layers that you could never rise above as a person. And India uh, used to have very similar things, different castes that you could never rise above. The the culture of the church, the culture of the kingdom is higher than that. The culture of the church was higher than the Celtic culture of my forefathers that said uh, child sacrifice was okay. 
The church said, no, no, that's, that's not good. That's not a thing. You might even have heard of St. Patrick. It's terrible that this man of God would see his great work become a drink fest because it's not what it was about. St. Patrick, for those of you that don't know, was captured by pirates, who's an English boy, and became a slave in Ireland and escaped from there and came back to England, became a Christian, and realized that those crazy Irishmen, any Irish people in the house, a little, little wild, need some help because they're raping and pillaging and killing one another. And he said, I am going to go there. Even though I've been a slave there, I'm going to give my life to see their culture transformed by the power of the gospel. And he went in there and saw the whole culture transformed. And it wasn't because of a, a bottle of green booze. It was because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Still changing lives. The church has always said, we're not better because God made us better, but our culture, our way of life is superior because it's built on different values. We believe Christianity is still better than many modern cultures. Superior to a culture that says a father can murder his daughter because she shames her family. It's superior to that culture. The culture of Christianity is superior to a culture that says it's okay to neglect the poor lest you impact their experience in a future life. It's superior to a culture that says boys are more valuable than girls. It's superior to a culture that objectifies and sexualizes women. It's still superior to a culture that worships money and things. It's superior to a culture that minimizes opportunity for people based on their race, their gender, their religion, their color, their creed. Because this a message shapes our culture, reshapes our culture. It's a message that is the hope of Canada. Because it's the church that inspires transformed life. It's the church that says every person you lock eyes with is made in the image of God and has value. It's the church that says the unborn have value. It's the church that say the disabled have value. It's the church that says the sick still have value and shouldn't be euthanized. It's the church that say women have value. It's the church that says the LGBTQ community, you have value. It's the church that says the rich have value. It's the church that say the poor have value. It's the church that says our enemies have value. It's the church that says the people that are far from God have value. It's the church that says that the powerful should serve the powerless. It's not the top guy rules down. It's the powerful actually serve up. It's the church who says, give to those who can never give back to you. Be generous. That's a value of the church. It's not the value of nature. It's the value of the church. It's the church that says, husbands, you're to love your wife sacrificially. She's not to be beaten down. She's not to be dominated. She's not to be marginalized. She's not to be uh, put to the side. She's right there with you. You love her and serve her and, and help her to be the best that she could be. You live your life to serve. It's a church that says that sex is not just for the mature, that sex is for the married. To your, because Not because of this or that, but it recognizes, the church recognizes that you are more than a body. You have a soul. See, it's a church that says that adultery and fornication are not okay because it destroys families and lives. It's a church that says that prostitution and pornography are not okay because you are more than a body, you're a soul. It's a church that says that strip clubs are not okay because they objectify and destroy lives. You have a soul, and God gave you this intimate thing called sex, and he put boundaries around it to protect you from uh, the destructive power of it unhindered because you're more than a body. The church is the one that says that abortion is never the solution, and the reason it's not a solution is because you are more than just a physical body because besides the obvious consequence to the unborn, it scars the lives of many, many women. And you're more than a body. 
The church that says that tolerance is not enough. Love is the highest ideal. It's, the, it's Jesus who said, love your enemies. It's Jesus who said, pray for those who curse you. It's Jesus who said, love those who won't love you. It's love those who are your enemies. It's the church that says, forgive because God has forgiven you. The great movements that have happened in America over the last 40 years around civil rights, someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who was not always virtuous in all of his life, but he had grabbed a hold of this principle that he would not walk in violence, that he would forgive. And it's been modeled all through history. Forgive, forgive, forgive. It's the church that teaches it. Of course it matters. The church still matters because we have the message of eternal life, but we have a message of a way to a better life. See, Jesus is not only concerned about your destination one day that you would meet him and stand before him and face to face and say and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. He, he is all about that day. But he's also about the journey that you will walk. He's also about making your family better. He's also about making your marriage better. He's also about making our city better. But it doesn't happen just by some chance. It happens when we let the Holy Spirit lead our life. Because the message of the church, and I know that we could come up with examples of how people have taken it and done terrible things in the name of the church, but the core message of the church, the things I just mentioned there, transform a culture. And the church still matters. Can I invite you to stand? See, our, our city, our nation, needs the church to embrace the leadership of Holy Spirit in a whole new way. Because if we look to the government to fix our nation, do you know over 100,000 babies were aborted in Canada last year? Do you know that the rate of suicide among our northern peoples is 10 times the rate of anywhere else in Canada? There's all kinds of issues. We have shootings. We have opiate crisis in our city, all kinds of things. The answer is not just going to be pass more laws. You know, America is wrestling through the whole issue of gun control, and I'm not going to comment on that other than ultimately the answer for all of us is that we would be a people that let the Holy Spirit lead our lives. That our, we don't just have, are not just stewards of, eternal, of the message of eternal life, we're stewards of the message of a better life. Does the church matter? Yes. And as we see things rapidly change in our nation, we can withdraw, huddle in the little corner and sing kumbaya, or we can aggressively step forward and say, Jesus, I don't know how it's all going to change, but I'm reporting for duty. I am going to let you lead my life. I need the leadership of Holy Spirit, because without the leadership of Holy Spirit, I'm some of that first part of the list. That's how I live my life. I need your leadership in my family. I need your help in my marriage. I need your help in my business. I need your help in every area of my life. That's the message that has changed our nation. That's the message that's the hope of our nation. It's the hope of your life. It's the hope of your family. It's the hope of your future. The message is, does the church still matter? Yes. When the church is the church that Jesus called it to be, the church still matters. Not as an institution, 
not as a building, but as a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of people who have decided to follow Jesus and allowed his resurrection power to work in their lives. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to close out. I just want to give opportunity this morning as I look on my left, your right. Maybe you've never allowed Jesus, invited Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of your life. And you say, Craig, I don't want just to, uh, to go out of here today not being made right with God because I want the promise of an eternal life and I want to walk out knowing that Jesus is working to make my life a better life. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, Craig, that's me. I want to make the decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. Just raise your hand. We're not going to do anything other than we'll pray with you and help you take your next step. Straight down the middle. Okay, on my right, your left. Yes. Anyone? All right. So simply this. For those that raised your hand today, I invite you all, all of us, because I'm assuming you didn't raise your hand, that you're either on a journey or you've already made that decision. So we're going to pray this. If you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Let's all do that together. Dear Jesus. I thank you that you are my Savior. I thank you that you hold the promise of eternal life. You hold the promise of a better life. So I repent. I acknowledge my need for you. I invite you to lead my life. I invite you to take lordship of my life. I recognize that you are my Savior. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that prayed that prayer, can I ask you to let the person that you came with know? And I will invite you to take your next step. Probably the easiest thing to do is come to Grow Track. But first of all, just let someone know that you came with it. You let Jesus, or invited Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of your life. Does the church still matter? Yes.